The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Using shadows on the dark side property, it's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jack Maciolik, here to announce show number 115 with guest Jackie Goldstein, recorded live Thursday, May 26, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASPNet classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPNet web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just paid his property taxes by selling his left kidney, Carl Franklin. Howdy, howdy, howdy. This is Carl Franklin, and you're listening to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm here on the east coast of the United States of America in beautiful New London, Connecticut. Money at CNN.com uh, has recently said that New London, Connecticut is one of like the best places to live economically right now. And uh, I don't know why. If you've been here, you'd know what I mean. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Richard, how are you doing today? Richard Campbell. Well, I am living in one of the best places in the world, according to the United Nations poll. Nice. So. And it's uh, it's beautiful here today. Vancouver is uh, showing off its summertime early. It's good. But yeah, things are going really well. Of course, I'm gearing up for Tech Ed, and I got a conference beforehand, and and then I get to stop off in fabulous New London, Connecticut. Yeah, you're going to see our, our economically wonderful place for the first time. Yes, yeah, so see if I actually want to uh, emigrate. <laughs> actually, you know, it's a beautiful area. There's There's really nice things here. It's on the coast. We have uh, lots of beautiful places around here. the The city of New London itself is sort of like an uh, an artist town. It, it's really like a nice art colony, and so there's a lot of interesting things here. It doesn't surprise me at all that you would live in a place like that, actually, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing I like about it is its location. You know, we're halfway between Boston and New York, and all, about an hour from Hartford, an hour from Providence, Rhode Island, an hour from New Haven where they have the best pizza in the world. And, you know, it, it's centrally located in New England. So we like that. Well, not centrally located, but it's an hour from everywhere. Right. Two hours from where it counts. Anyway, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about uh, the show. 
Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's talk about, let's read some email here. For sure. So I've got a couple of good emails that I picked over today. Uh, the first one comes from Stuart Button, who's a technical director at Imagine Interactive. And he says, hi, Carl, Richard, and Jeff. Great show. I am an architect developer DBA for a Melbourne-based IT company and do most of my work for an online wine auctioneer here in cool. Australia. Yeah. I love the enthusiasm of your shows and the sense of community which they bring. I was initially watching MSDN webcasts religiously, but now find your shows generally more practical as I can listen to them in my MP3 player anywhere I go, including the gym or while walking to work. So far, my favorite speakers have been Paul Sheriff, Kate Gregory, Jay Rocks, Chris Sells, and of course, Kimberly Tripp. She needs her own show, man, doesn't she? Yeah, I think it's true, yeah. <laughs> the Kim Tripp show. Uh, although I have to slow my Windows Media Player down to half speed so I can keep up with her. <laughs> I was interested in your comments on one of your earlier shows, episode 80, I think, where you cast the MCSD, the exam, in quite a negative light. In fact, I think you said uh, you'd count it as a negative. I'm currently undertaking an MCSD, and I'm not en only enjoying it, but I am constantly surprised at how many gaps it has filled in. It's sometimes amazing how, as a developer, you can somewhat naively think that you are quite accomplished in an area of technology, but then still find so many things you don't know. Most of the chapters I skim, but I feel it's, really wor it's a really worthwhile experience. I, I definitely recommend it, especially for those wishing to consolidate their .NET development experience. Uh, I had an idea which you might like. Perhaps you could release a .NET Rocks 3 DVD box set, including your .NET Rocks movie, which I still haven't had a chance to buy yet, but I'm hoping to get soon, and all the back-issue WMAs on the other two DVDs. While most of us have broadband, we'd much prefer to pay a few dollars and have them sent by mail, especially if they came with your movie. I mean, currently, this is about 8 to 10 gigs of download for the whole collection, plus the pain of having to download them all individually. Just just a thought. It would be something I'd certainly love to have. Uh, keep up the good work. Stuart C. Button, Imagine Interactive. And, um, yeah, a couple of things about that. First of all, the box said it sounds like a good idea, don't you think, Richard? Yeah, yeah. Well, first thing I thought when I when I see this is, uh, boy, you need to learn about BitTorrent. Yeah, right. Because BitTorrent would make it a lot easier for you to get all the shows. Well, if we but, if we'd uh, made it one big zip file, maybe BitTorrent would be good. But um, I don't know. That's that's a lot. Yeah, of, it's a little more complicated to get them all individually. Yeah. But I love the idea of putting together a box set. But then again, I'm not the one who's going to be buying it, or maybe I'll only buy one copy. Well, let's ask the listeners. What do you think? Do you think this is a good idea? I mean, obviously, this isn't a profit center for us, but, you know, we could certainly make it available. Um, is this a good idea? Let us know. What would be fun for us would be writing all the cover notes. Right. <laughs> and our, our email alias, in case you haven't uh, got that, is .netrocks at franklins.net. D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S at franklins.net. Drop us a line anyway. The other thing in this email uh, is the MCSD. And what I normally tell people is I think there is a lot of value in the tests. What The reason that I uh, – the guy got the idea that I cast in a negative light was that if I was to hire somebody as a programmer, uh, I would I, I would only count it as a negative against them if I saw if I saw that they spent all their time p taking and passing tests and not enough time, uh, you know, getting experience, 
And I've seen that these people operating in the industry. Yeah, definitely people who are skilled at taking exams rather than necessarily developing. Right. In, you know, when I'm off hiring, uh, and I've actually been employed by companies just to help acquire good developers, one of the things I ask alongside the resume is your favorite piece of code. Yeah. I found that what a guy really likes about what he's written tells an awful lot about him. That's a good. That's a good idea. Yeah, and it's just a sort of a thinking point on, well, if you wrote this, and that's always the question, did he really write it? Yeah. If you wrote this, then you must know this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing as well. Yeah, that's nice. Well, anyway, that's uh, I just wanted to clarify the position there. And um, uh, so I'm glad you're enjoying the test and good luck. Yeah, I do think the certified developer especially, it really covers a wide spectrum of knowledge. And uh, it's not a bad exercise. I just don't think it stands by itself. That's that's my only point, right? And we also got this uh, great email from Howard Harowitz in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Hi, Carl. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for .NET Rocks. I enjoy listening to your show on my recently acquired iRiver MP3 player while taking long walks around the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia. I also liked your VB Internet programming books. I have been a fan of Visual Basic since it appeared in the early 1990s. In fact, VB changed my life and that of every member of my family. Somewhere back in the mists of time, while I was working as an engineer in San Francisco, I decided to take an evening class in computer programming at UC Berkeley. The language I learned was Compass, the assembly language for CDC, Control Data Corporation, mainframes. Since then, I have worked with 6502, 8080, Z80, 8086, and 6800 assembly languages, Fortran, PLM, Microsoft, BASIC, C, C++ in DOS, and Forth. Man, what a list. What a list, huh? <laughs> and I bet he doesn't have an MCSD. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Relax. Don't send me hate mail. I worked for consulting firms where I programmed toys, games, medical devices, and industrial control systems. I taught computer technology and computer science for several years. When I discovered Visual Basic, uh, thanks to an article by Steve Gibson in Computer World. Wow, there's an old name. Yeah. It immediately became my development language of choice. My computer technology class in 1991, I think that was the year, was one of the first to expose students to VB. A couple of years later in 1993, during Christmas break, I wrote a very simple program in Visual Basic 3 for creating web pages. It was called HTML Assistant and was available for free download at the Dalhousie University Computer Science Department's website. A few months later, in March 1994, I offered a pro version for sale. As far as I know, HTML Assistant Pro was the first HTML editor to reach the market, and I've used it. I know I have. Wow. Sales were growing, and my wife Cheryl and I decided that we needed to create a business in order to continue selling HTML Assistant Pro. We were living in Nova Scotia, Canada, and I was born in Brooklyn, New York, so we called our company Brooklyn North Software Works. Much to my surprise, we managed to sell enough copies so that we would leave our jobs and work full-time at the company we started. I was the computer geek, and Cheryl was Brooklyn North's CEO. Thanks to her efforts, we got investors, hired staff, and opened a second office near Boston in the U.S. Microsoft and VB made it possible for myself and my wife to free ourselves of our day jobs, and we haven't looked back since. Our children cut their IT teeth at Brooklyn North and are all working in the industry today. 
Without the rapid application development that VB made possible, we never could have done it. Our story can be found at my personal website, videoloom.com, just like it sounds, videoloom.com. Regards and best wishes, Howard Harowitz, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Isn't that a great story? Awesome story. I can't believe that program was written in VB. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think our guest uh, probably has a few comments to make as well. So let me just go ahead and introduce him. Jackie Goldstein has achieved national and international recognition for expertise in Windows and .NET development in general and Visual Basic and database applications in particular. He is the general manager of Renaissance Computer Systems, which specializes in consulting, training, and development with Microsoft tools and technologies. He has over 20 years' experience developing and managing software applications in the U.S. and Israel and is known for his ability to help developers understand and take advantage of new technologies. Jackie is a Microsoft Regional Director, a Microsoft MVP, and the founder and monthly host of the Israel VB User Group, and is a featured speaker at international developer events, including VS Live, TechEd, Microsoft Developer Days, and Microsoft Professional Developers Conference, PDC. Jackie works closely with Microsoft in the U.S., Israel, and throughout Europe. He was chosen by Microsoft as the Microsoft Regional Director of the Year for 1999 and also receives the 2004 Outstanding Regional Director Award. Jackie was selected as the member of the INETA Speakers Bureau and is the lead author of the book Database Access with VisualBasic.net from Addison Wesley. He has also written several articles for the Microsoft MSDN website. At the end of 2003, Microsoft commissioned Jackie to do a VB upgrade tour in 10 different cities throughout Europe. In December 2003, Microsoft recognized Jackie as a .NET software legend. Will you please welcome the one, the only, Jackie Goldstein. How are you, sir? Great, Carl. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Well, I must say, Carl, I want to thank you guys for inviting me onto the show. It's really exciting to be here. Oh, it's and our I have pleasure. to tell you, Carl. I feel like I've gone full circle being on your show tonight. Oh, really? And I'll tell you why. I don't want to bore everybody with my history, my career history, but let's just say I spent the first 10 years of my professional career developing real-time software, microprocessor-based software. And then about 1992, for various reasons, I decided I'm going to go develop for Windows. Like every good C developer, I went out, bought a copy of Petzold, taught myself how to program in Windows. And then 1993 rolled around. And what happened in 1993, Carl? Yeah. VB3 came out. VB3, man. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a friend of mine said, you got to check this out. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I said, you know, I don't really believe this guy, but he was right. I went out. I bought that, Access 2.0. And sort of like that red letter you read before, it changed my life. Yeah. But the way I feel like I've come full circle, Carl, is that back in 1993, if you were a serious VB developer, what was the main website you would go to? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know it. You know Carl and yeah. Gary's websites, and you're the Carl of Carl and Gary's. That's right. And I remember that very fondly, and I said, wow, you know, Carl's gone his way, and he's done a lot of different things since then. I've done a lot of different things since then, but, you know, some of it still kind of remains the same. You yeah. know, it all comes together. That's true. You know, I you know, I know you're into music, Carl. Yes, right? I am. Yep. So... I like to, one thing I, you know, philosophically sort of describes this situation we have now. We've, you know, we've done a lot of things since Carl and Gary's, but there's a lyric that a great man once said, 
After changes upon changes, we are more or less the same. <laughs> now, I know, Carl, you're used to being the one asking the questions. Right. But if it's okay with you, I'll ask you a question. All Very right, simple sure. question. Sure. Where is that lyric from? After changes upon changes, we are more or less the same. Uh, give me a second. I'll Google it. No, I, don't, I really don't recognize. <laughs> Isn't that Bowie? No. Kind of a different genre. It's actually from what I like to call the unknown verse of The Boxer. By oh, no Simon kidding. and Garfunkel. No kidding. Ah. And I call it, it's the unknown verse because it, it does not appear in most recordings. Wow. You, that's why it's unknown. It's not that popular. I'm not sure why. But if you look at their collected works or their greatest hits, it's not there. Huh. One recording that I know I have it in is their concert in the park back from 1981. Wow. I never paid attention to that. It's neat. So there's a whole verse there about things changing. Now the years are rolling by me. They're ro- rocking evenly. And just ends up saying... After changes upon changes, we are more or less the same. And I found that's true about me and about other people too, Carl. So, Well, thank you, man. Great to be here 10 years later. It is, it is all coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> like a big nightmare! Ah! No. <clears throat> well, that, uh, that site, is, as you may know, if you read the history of it, which we had posted on the page back then, and I think you can still see remnants of it at the Wayback Machine, which, which is at archive.org. Yeah. Um, if you type in cgvb.com, which I think was the uh, uh, URL, if I remember correctly, and um, the, the 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 website history started in New Orleans, where uh, Gary Wisniewski, who was the the uh, president of Apex Software at that time, he had this idea. He and I had this idea together. You know, the, this web thing is is looking pretty cool, and uh, why don't we set up a website for VB? At that time, there was only Microsoft MSDN. MSDN had a website, and there was stuff about you know programming in VB there. But it, you know, in 1993, nobody was really, nobody was really ta- taking advantage of it yet. And uh, we, we put it up. He put it up on, on his company's web space, and eventually it got so big that it had to have its own place and its own T1, et cetera. But uh, that's that's what happened. I I think there was some alcohol involved too. <laughs> I sort of guessed that when you said it started in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhat coincidentally, Robert Scoble just had a post about Gary. Oh, really? He got an email from Gary, who's been down in Australia, I see, for the last ten years. He has. I mean, I could tell you the the whole story that traces Gary's history, but I don't know if it would be. Good for him, or <laughs> I mean, a man has to have his privacy, you know. <laughs> but yeah, he's been down in Australia. He went to work with uh, Mark Triskalthik down there for a while at uh, GUI Computing, and then started his own uh, company, Spider Eye Studios. And he did some websites for uh, BMI, like music websites, really developing good stuff. And Gary's a hardcore guy. I mean. You know, he he read the comm spec for fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and and he also is the author of True Grid, which was uh, right. Apex Software's really excellent grid control. And I remember him talking about the architecture of it even back then. It was wonderful. Um, but more importantly, I, I, I caught up with him several years ago. I think it was, you know, when .NET was just coming out. And I asked him if he'd taken a look at it. And he goes... Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, Java is okay, but it's got its problems, and .NET seems a little promising. But basically, these days, I'm writing my own, 
Writing your own what, man? <laughs> Writing my own everything. He like wrote his own framework for you know what I mean? He's just insane. <laughs> just a brilliant man. Well, anyway, enough about that. Oh, we digress. Yeah. We digress. Yeah, thanks for that little reverie. Uh, so <clears throat> what's it like being a VB programmer in Israel? I, I haven't, I've never been there. I know that there are a lot of really smart people over there. It's an awful lot of code that comes out of Israel. A lot of code. There's a lot of code. It's actually one of the things that makes it a little bit different, and this has changed over the years, of course. But when I first started promoting VB back in the mid-90s, let's say, the ratio of, let's say, VB developers to C++ developers in Israel was the exact inverse of what it was in the rest of the world or in the U.S. Where really? That, even at that time, you had, let's say, typically 75 80% of developers developing in VB and the rest in C++. Over here, was almost the exact opposite. Hmm. So I had a much harder time trying to explain to people why VB was a, was a good thing. Yeah. Um, that's probably because there's a big emphasis here on electronics. So if you're doing the embedded software, you're developing in C+, and so you think that's the only you know, serious development language. Right. So there's a lot of defense development work going on here, so that's also they're going to be using something like C+, C++. Um, hmm. We also don't have as many large corporations. A big install base for VB in the U.S. are the IT departments, so different departments within larger corporations or mid-sized corporations. And we just don't have that many. We're a small company. The companies are typically smaller, so there's less of a need and less of a install base of people de- developing their own side projects. Either they'll purchase some software off the shelf, or there'll be these massive projects, which certainly at that time wasn't the prime market for VB. Yeah, things have shifted. I know we've gotten more in line with the rest of the world, with the re- rest of the trends, as VB has become more powerful as a type of applications that need to be developed. Um, but a lot of, you're right, a lot of cool software comes out of here. You may be surprised to know that the first R&D center for Microsoft outside of North America was in Israel. Hmm. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Um, the products that are being developed here are MSMQ, have been, were developed in the R&D center here. Hmm. Um, ISA was, has been, is developed here, at least large parts of these products. I thought the OLAP product of, came from, from major Israel corporations. Well. And hmm. you know, and a lot of stuff by smaller corporations, smaller startups. Didn't, wasn't the OLAP product that's bundled with SQL Server? Didn't it originate in Israel as well? Yes, that was a product developed by a team here. I actually was, was talking to them when they were first starting out, and they eventually bought the product, the team, pretty much like everybody. Everything, yeah. So, so a lot of the, those guys have moved over to Redmond to continue developing that product. Jackie, I know you've done a lot of work migrating VB6 to VB.net, and I just got to say. God bless you, man. That's insane work. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, I remember I remember. Uh, I was one of the first people with uh, the deep training crowd to deliver some, uh, you know, two-day .NET uh, tour content. And, uh, you know, there was some slides on upgrading. And, you know, knowing the real story, I remember looking at these and just shaking my head and saying, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Um, try. Well, I, I never showed those slides. Yeah, well, trying it, <laughs> trying the upgrade process myself, it, it became obvious when you were looking at VB code that uh, all they were doing was they had created a, a managed wrapper that had the the VB the VB six keywords, and it created a new VB.net project that just changed all of those statements 
to have uh, a namespace in front of them. Basically, v, you know, Microsoft compatibility vb6 whatever you know open to open files. They weren't they weren't changing file I/O stuff to streams. They weren't they weren't rearchitecting in any way. They weren't they were, taking advantage of .NET. They weren't taking advantage of .NET, and they were using you know this uh, the compatibility layer, which works and it's managed code, but you know isn't going to give you a solid basis for the future. And of course, there is no object oriented thing. But you know, I guess. Were we expecting too much from an upgrade wizard? You know, the, the we're, do we really think that we can just click our fingers and and we have this fully best practiced object oriented application from a VB6 app? So I think that I don't know if we did, but certainly a lot of people did. Um, that's why my take on upgrading. First of all, I like to use the word migrating. It's a little bit better describe what I want to do because. The upgrade wizard, running the upgrade wizard, if not the last resort, is certainly only one piece of the whole puzzle. In some ways, a very small piece of the whole puzzle. And, you know, because VB developers, they were used for going from even, you know, VB1 to VB2, certainly from VB3 on, every new version came out. We would just load the source code, recompile, you know, maybe make a few corrections, a few tweaks here and there, and our app was running. And that all went, you know, from VB3 through VB6, that was pretty much the story. And I guess they were, you know, a lot of people were expecting that same thing to happen, that same experience when we went to VB.net, and clearly that didn't happen. Now, I don't know if it's just bad expectations on our part, on the developer community part, uh, if there was some miscommunications by Microsoft in setting those expectations. Yeah. But I'm trying to make that very clear when I talk about migrating, that when I talk about migrating, there's really three, three elements. Element number one, and the first element is migrating developers. Before we even think about migrating code, we have to migrate developers. Yeah. So you have to take your existing VB6 developers and teach them what's .NET. Right. And for some people, that'll be easier, and some people will be harder, but they have to go through that learning curve so they know what they're looking at and what the advantages are, but what's staring them in the face in terms of the workload coming down. Right. Step number two is still not to run the wizard. Step number two is to analyze their code base. Because yeah. if you're starting a new project from scratch, then, yeah, okay, that's easy. You upgrade the developers, and you start coding in vb.net. Yeah. But if you do have a, an installed base of code that you want to maintain and take forward, then you have to, again, you cannot run the wizard on it and expect it to work. You need to spend some time thinking, both from a business perspective and a technology perspective, if and where and how it makes sense to upgrade part of the application. Right. Agreed. Um, the Upgrade Wizard is a reasonable tool if you use it on a very small slice of an application. If you say, okay, you know, I've got these you know, tens and hundreds of DLLs and modules and forms, that's great, but I want to focus on my UI, but that's what's hurting me. Or I want to focus on, I have, let's say, some DLLs, you know, some object code that do a lot of string manipulations. And string manipulation, we know, is not VB6's strong suit. Right. So maybe that's a place to try to get that stuff into .NET. So if you run it on that, then you get some you know reasonable productivity, some reasonable output out of it. I mean, I've had conversations. I was actually asked by Microsoft to go make a customer visit to an ISV. They had it was a financial services ISV. They had two applications, each of which was about a million lines of code. I'm talking to them. I could tell that it started back in VB3 or VB4. It was now most of which was now in VB6, and they said. We want to migrate all this code, and, you know, we, we have incremental releases, but our requirements are constantly changing. So pretty much every two, three weeks, 
we have a new release. So we really can't take the time to rewrite everything. So we want you to you know, tell us how can we migrate these million lines of code in a two-week window. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Now, um, after I told them no and no and no, I did try to give it, you know, again, this, this, you know, the customer's always right, or, you know, we like to make believe that for a while. So we <laughs> were actually developing a plan. You know, I tried to explain to them, listen, you want to just do it incrementally, piece by piece. Take some new functionality to add, or take one piece of the application and upgrade that and see how that goes, and then do some more. And they said, no, 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 we can't do that. We don't want to maintain two environments. And we actually started throwing around some ideas on how we can do a lot of the work up front. We would, could spend even months practicing the upgrade and finding out all the problems and maybe building some custom tools or customizing some existing tools to do the upgrade. So doing a lot of work theoretically wasn't a problem. But when we came time to say, okay, we've done all the homework, we've done all the learning, all the preparing, now it's time to go, we would try to do it in a two- to four-week slot. And we had these discussions, and we sort of left them around. And eventually I called back to check up on it, and they said, yeah, well, you know, we started to do, you know, decide to do it a little bit incrementally, so we've started some adding new functionality here, some new functionality there in .NET, and it's going pretty okay. So yeah. I'm kind of glad that, you know, whether they liked it or not, or whether they gave me credit or not, they came around to my way of thinking. Eventually you figured out you were right, even if they didn't actually <laughs> know you were right. Right, so that's... You know, uh, what, one thing I find interesting is that um, if you had, if you were listening to Microsoft or, or back in the VB6 days, in terms of you know object and tiered design and architecture, uh, you were in a much better place to uh, migrate your code because most of what your code is is in these classes, which uh, migrate over quite you know the, the most painlessly of all the tiers. That's always one of the first questions I ask is, you know, how was your code written? Was it written, you know, written in nice tiers? Again, even if it's not an enterprise application, just do you have, you know, do you, know, do you have class files in your application? Now, that's always a good question to ask to see, you know, what the design pattern was. Right. You know what a CLS file is. If they don't, then yeah, you can guess they could have a hard time upgrading that code. Yeah, I love that look on the faces when you say, well, uh, how many classes have you got? Yeah. And huh? they look at you like, what's a class? Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's going to be that kind of week. Exactly. So um, the challenges in the UI is probably, would you say, in, in a Visual Basic application is pretty much the core of where the, where the pain is? User interface? Yeah, the, the straight code will typically migrate pretty easily. Or if there are problems, they're very identifiable, repeatable problems. Yeah. Run into the problem in the UI, it's more complicated. If you have custom controls, they should migrate, but certainly no guarantees. Depends a lot on how the vendor for those custom controls develop them. Yeah. So, so again, you know, you have to first do a business analysis, what makes sense to migrate or upgrade or try to do in .NET. Figure out where your pain points are. Is my GUI fine? I just want to get into .NET and have some optimized code. Do I want to run a little bit faster? Or do I want to give a facelift to my GUI and I could do that you know, section by section or piece by piece. So the, you know, the key is there really is no fixed set of rules. Do this, then that, then that. Right. Most right. typically, people will start from the outside in. You'll start from the GUI, then the middle tier, then maybe your data access tier. But the data access tier probably runs just fine the way it is in VB6. That's another uh, issue, isn't it? I mean, do, do you have to migrate everything? 
if you have these business objects that are using ADO and they're working and they need to use ADO, let's see, let's face it, ADO Net isn't a connected uh, system. And so if you need to stay connected, if you need that cursor model, you have to be there, don't you? So, I mean, do you even need to do that is, is, a, is a question that, you know, a lot of people, as you say, they don't, they don't pick it apart piece by piece. They say, we're going to migrate everything to VB.net. And in some cases, it's advantageous to, to keep some things the way they are, especially – and you can comment on this too. Um, you know, the lights go off with my customers and my students when I show them that you can create VB.net classes that use the COM objects as base classes and just chip away uh, piece at a piece by overriding. All, all of the members of a COM object are overridable by default. So you can just chip away at it until you're left with pure .NET code. Can you comment on that? Sure. You know, I, I said earlier that, you know, Microsoft may have miscommunicated and maybe not set expectations properly, and that may be true, but if you were paying attention to what Microsoft was doing, maybe more than what it was saying, I think it became very clear that the expectation was not that you were going to run a wizard to migrate all your code. Right. Microsoft spent a tremendous amount of effort in building the com interrupt technology. Yeah. That, that, that was not, in and of itself, that's not really added value. It's only added value when you say, okay, we understand and we expect that a lot of existing applications are going to consist for foreseeable future of com code, of VB6 code, as well as .NET code. Yeah. When you realize the effort and the plumbing and the fact that it worked really pretty very, very well, com interrupt in both directions, you would see that the Microsoft's expectation was not for us to just, you know, do a few mouse clicks and run the wizard and have all our code moved up automatically. Clearly, it understood that it was not going to be a process that was going to happen overnight. Existing applications were out there. It just doesn't make economic sense very often to try to migrate code. Right. If it works well, there's no added value in parts of the application. There's really no reason to migrate it. And, you know, sometimes in the early days when I would say that, I would sometimes get, you know, kind of little frowns from some of the Microsoft people, but then they realize, yeah, that's, that's the reality, and that's the truth. And it's actually less scary for customers. They realize, no, I can move to .NET without taking two years off from my development cycle, where I basically do nothing or don't move forward. That's a much better message, I think. It's a more realistic message. Yeah. And, it, and it's really what people are doing. I mean, why take apart an application that already works if you're not going to get anything for it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, as I said, first on my list is take a look at the business issues involved, then look at the technology issues, and then you see, okay, where's the you know where's that little module, those that project that I want to run out of my solution and run that through the upgrade wizard. So let's talk about VB.net and respect, <laughs> or the lack, <laughs> or the lack thereof. What's going on here, Jackie? Now, I'll just remind you, Carl, right? I'm, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're hitting me with a question like that, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in many ways, VB has been the Rodney Dangerfield of programming languages. <laughs> uh, I think one of the first magazine articles I wrote back in 93, 94, I said the most difficult thing about VB is the fact that it has the word basic in its name. And yeah, that's probably yeah. been true throughout, throughout history, throughout the history of VB. That, that basic word in the name sort of just gave it a bad name. 
Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. You know, Jackie, when I was in, in college... I was in a COBOL class, and I had been working with QuickBasic. And I've been, you know, I was writing compiled code that was that was really good. And uh, I I told my teacher, I mean, I said, you know, have you the COBOL thing that we were using was an interpreter? And I said, hey, you know, have you have you seen QuickBasic? And she looked at me. She looked around in both directions really quick, and she goes, shh, don't say that word, basic, around here, shh. <laughs> That's a bad word. <clears throat> you know. Well, yeah. So I took a lot of grief for that. Although, again, I was able to hold my own, but I was also a C developer, and I did real time developing. So, I, you know, I came from there. I could hold my own. I, you know, I'd gone through Petzold. I right. paid my dues. Right. And I was one of the you know, there different types of VB developers, and they're all legitimate. And they all come from different backgrounds and experiences. But there's definitely a, a group of VB developers, a class of developers that say, you know, if I wanted, if I wanted to, I could program in C or C sharp or whatever. But it's right. just easier or more fun to develop in VB. That's exactly the way I feel. Exactly That's, the way I feel. Well, you know, I'm here to get some work done. I'm not programming recreationally. I'm trying to build an application that solves a problem. Whatever gets me to the finish line first is where I want to go. Yeah, as long as the finish line is the same if you use it in language A or language B, and you're not losing anything by doing it. We'll talk about that in a minute, but one of the things I always used to say was one of the bad raps VB had, and sometimes it was justified in the older versions, was was performance. And so I would get into an, you know, typical VB versus C++ argument, and people would say, you know, well, you know, what about performance? What about the difference in performance between VB and C++? I'll say, well, you want to talk about performance? Yeah, there's a difference in performance. I'll say, you know, you know really? I said, yeah, VB is faster. And they look surprised and say, you know, VB is faster. And they said, you know, well, well by how much? I'd say, oh, about two to three months. <laughs> exactly. Very good. Very good. Well, you know, if you go out to uh, shrinkster.com slash 5ix this week, you'll see a cartoon uh, at Tales from the Server Side at theserverside.net. 
which is a uh, a community online for for .NET developers. You're and taking they, this cartoon way too personally, Carl. No, 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 I'm not. No, <laughs> believe me. Uh, but but you know this cartoon is just like it really really pissed me off a little bit. You know, uh, although I know that there's a grain of truth in it. Check it out. Now, if you're listening to this show in an archive, there's a good chance that this uh, this cartoon is not there. So I will describe it. So what you see is a police lineup and uh, there's a cop looking with a uh, victim through a plate glass window, which obviously is tinted on the other side. And there's four people behind it standing there with signs on them. And one is an SAP programmer. Uh, who's like a, a cheery, happy guy in a suit and tie? There's another J2EE programmer, which looks like a you know a, a nerdy, geeky type of uh, smart guy. You have a COBOL programmer who's a, a little bit old and in gray in the tooth and got a like a gray goatee. And uh, you know, no stereotypes. No, no stereotypes. And he's wearing you know like a more colorful kind of shirt, an aging hippie kind of thing, a faded hipster guy. And then you have a VB.net programmer who's this big guy in a Hawaiian shirt holding a box of donuts under one hand and, <laughs> and, and drinking, quaffing a six-pack. And he's unshaven, of course. And that's the before picture. And then the after picture is him, uh, the same VB programmer, cleaned up in a suit and tie, out, standing outside what looks like a, a, a prison – Although it looks more – I guess it's more like a university and it says .NET, you know, like .NET uh, school. And he's got a design patterns book under his, under his arm and a briefcase and he's hitching a ride. <laughs> and that's the after picture. Aye, I aye, thought aye. it was kind of funny actually. But, kind uh, of funny, kind of serious, kind of it is, true. It is a little uh, bit, uh, a little bit uh, telling of what's going on. I think that's a, that's a good point. Was VB – what VB is and who VB is targeting has gone through some flux in the last couple of versions. Yeah, it certainly has. If we look at VB6, VB6 was very clear this was for rapid business development. And, yeah, there were a few things that were hard to do or you just couldn't do. And I always maintained it was a very, very few. I mean, I developed some projects that you wouldn't in the world expect to be done in VB. I developed, again, maybe it was my... Real-time background, I had a great time working on these projects, but I did them in VB because it was more productive. Right. So we, we built a project that was for a robotics environment. It was basically Visual Studio, a visual development environment for robotics program, mm. where we had a PC application that was a development environment. You would build your programs there. You would compile them there. You would also debug them. We would then have a serial communication link to a hardware controller that would control the actual robot arm. It was industrial robots, not ones that clean your house and roll around. Um, yep. And we did all of that. 99.9% of that was in VB. I guess it was VB4 at the time, possibly. VB4, VB5. That includes serial communications. That includes a compiler. That includes real-time debugging with a controller. Hmm. The two pieces that stand out in my mind that we didn't do in VB was one for convenience, on the serial communications, we had to do a CRC check, and since the guys in the controller already wrote it in C, I just said, that, why should I rewrite it in VB? I'll just right. use the same code and use it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, VB may be faster than, writing in VB may be faster than writing in C, but not writing code is still faster than writing in VB, so we just took yeah. their code. And then I think there was a global keyboard handler. 
I think for a global keyboard handler, you had to have a handle to a DLL. That, that was something also we couldn't do in VB. Mm. But pretty much everything else, including compiler, we did in VB. Wow. It actually confirmed one of the one of the important lessons we they always talk about, and this, but I really felt it this time. Well, in terms of optimization, one of the classic rules of optimization is first get it to work right, and then optimize. And you know, one of the first things that's got to pop into your mind when I talk about building a compiler, even a relatively simple compiler in VB, has got to be G. That's got to be really slow. VB doesn't do strings very well. Talking about VB six. Right, and I knew that, and I said, "Listen, building a compiler is non-trivial, and getting it to work is non-trivial. Let me get it to work first, and then if there's a problem in performance, I'll rewrite those parts." But of course, we built it; it worked, and nobody thought that it was a performance problem. So I saved myself a lot of time by writing it in VB. And again, I knew in the back of my mind I had a plan B. If I had to, I could just go take whatever the bottlenecks were and rewrite them in C. But didn't have to. But the point was, it was fast enough. It may not have been lightning fast, but it was fast enough. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're not talking about million lines robotics program. So yeah. for what it had to do, it was certainly fast enough. Yeah. You should also clarify that VB6 uh, string handling, you know, not its strong suit. I, I, I would add to that with large sets of strings. With small sets of strings, it works just great. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? No, I would definitely agree with that. Is that sure. what we're talking about? Is when you, you know, when you get into dealing with... Uh, you know, we had the same problem in VB.net, right? When you deal with a, a large string and you modify it, you're making a copy of it. And uh, that works really well for, for small bits of strings, but it reaches a critical point uh, when the string gets really big. So anyway, just wanted to clarify that. So the other areas, the other areas we got beat up on in VB6, and again, they were legitimate, but just not always necessary, was both of them actually linked to the issue of the lack of free threading in VB6. Right. So the two areas where we really feel that pain is if you want to have object pooling in MTS or COM+. Yeah. So you need a free threading model. Apartment model wasn't good enough for that. Mm-hmm. That was one area people said, ah, I see VB is no good, but I need that object pooling. Although I'm sure most people just use just-in-time activation, not object pooling, but be that as it may. And the other area where three fretting was an issue was building NT services, Windows services. At that time, we called them NT services. Right. And I had some great fights with people back in those days, whether you could or couldn't. And you turned to Microsoft for guys, it was a little bit confusing also. But I remember there was some articles on MSDN that said, no, you can't build NT services with VB6. And then there were some other articles that showed you how. Right, so, yeah, how to do it. Yep. Yeah. And then Dan Appleman came out with, with his toolkit for doing it. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. So that was, that was definitely an interesting time and interesting arguments, but you know those were the you know, those were corners where there were limitations in VB. Yeah, and yeah, it didn't have real inheritance and and all that, so it was a problem. So you know, if we look at the the movement in VB, we went from VB six to VB dot net. I think you know the focus of the VB team, besides the whole dot net story, was as long as we're making all these changes. Let's give VB everything it needs so, you know, it's a first-class language. And I think they did pretty well. It took them, really took them two versions to yeah, do it, and right. there's still some pieces missing. So things like operator overloading. So yeah. with WIDB, I think we're really closing the gap, you know, a thousand percent with all the other languages. Isn't WIDB really the next VB3? I mean, it's the breakthrough version. It's the third version. Yeah, the magic third version. And, and, it, and it, I must say that it, 
it covers both ends of the spectrum. It covers the lower level features that they didn't have before. And it also covers these high level features for, you know, for the VB6 programmers who are coming back to .NET. Uh, you know, there's more there that makes it less uh, painful on entry. But once you get going, you can shed some of that crap and, you know, get down to the nitty gritty a lot more. So I think it goes in both directions. It goes more high level and more low level. It's great general purpose language now. But I want to come back to the thing you said about apartment threading and free threading. And, you know, it just occurred to me, hey, this would be a really good nugget just to drop for our listeners about the differences between these two models. Can you uh, so, elaborate on that? Let's, let's, that's, that's kind of gory to get into now. All right. <laughs> we don't have a simple, a simple version of that? All right. Okay. Never mind. It, it's a tough topic. There's no question. All right. And, and we've gotten away from, from apartment threading now. I, I'm happy to put it behind me. Yeah, all I, all I know, to tell you the truth, all I really know about the two things, and we'll just cut this out because it didn't work, but um, all I really know is that there's just a lot of things you can't do <laughs> in an apartment threaded app that you can. The, the problem with apartment threading is that well, you're only still only executing in one block of code, but you have different copies of the data. So there's entry and exit points that you have to follow. Right. So the, the real issue here is that we're free-threading. We're going to have multiple instances si executing simultaneously, and I don't have any problems. Yeah. But you don't really have really global problems. You don't really have global variables, even the, uh, for the thread. Right. right. Basically, when you it basically copies the global variables, the different threads, and then each one, even though it thinks it's a global variable, it's got its own copy. So you have this communication problem there. Yeah. yeah weird things can happen, and and it it only the only place where free threading makes sense is when you have many instances running at the same time. And when you try and do that with apartment threading, it doesn't do what you expect it to do. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about but I think that. that the issue of VB going in both directions is really a key point, Carl. I mean, you're 100% right. I think that's the biggest challenge facing the VB team. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, you know, going to .NET and certainly on Whitby, <laughs> they realized you have to fill all the gaps. Anything you can do in C Sharp, you, you can do it in VB, and you want to make it you know, just as easily. I mean, an example of that is, let's say, the using keyword now. Yeah. So... VB until Whitby didn't have the using keyword like C sharp had, and you could do it. You do just a little bit more code, but then right. you can do it. So it wasn't something that you couldn't do in VB. But now they made it easier. But yeah. one of the problems that happened to Microsoft and VB moving to .NET was that since there was such a focus on parity between the languages and making sure all the key buzzwords were in the VB language, right? They sort of lost the less experienced or the less sophisticated developers, which right. was really a central core of the VB developer market, a very important part of the VB developer market. So in Whidbey, they you see a shift moving back. And like you said, in VB, a lot of stuff besides filling in the, the gaps at the high end, what the, the high end in terms of more in-the-guts code, also filling in the stuff to, in the productivity and to make it a lot easier to use the language. So this is why that's the same way it was very easy to jump in and develop VB6 code, or VB code, or VBA code. They want to make it that easy right. with VB.net. This is an interesting dilemma for me as a teacher of VB because, uh, you know, there's definitely two audiences out there. There's the audience that 
uh, is doesn't want to be held down by you know learning all the new rules and of of dot net and the way of, and the patterns and all that stuff, and uh, they just want to use the keywords that they're comfortable with you know mid string and and uh, you know upper and lower and, and and all you know instar and all of those all of those things that you know I I taught myself when uh, to get away from in VBNet in order to be more .NET like. What um, what do you think about that? I mean, is that is that definitely? I mean, if you're going to lose a VB programmer on VB.net because they because that you're forcing them to take on this model, is it worth it just to just to t- teach them to use the uh, the existing VB like syntax? I mean, is there a problem with that? My opinion on that is that we should try to do it the .NET way, but make it clear as a as an aid in the beginning that the old VB way is still there. Like even from my own personal experience, take something as simple as a message box. Right. When I'm writing code, I try to use the .NET way of doing message box dot show. Show, yeah. Um, but, you know, if I tell the truth, when I'm debugging and I want to stick it in a message box, it's going to be MSG B-O-X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just a reflex. That's just what happens. It's still in your head. I, I mean, I still use MSG B-O-X. And you know what? It really doesn't matter in terms of in in terms of the code that it generates. It generates the same exact code. I guess the, the thing that I'm saying is, you know, you've got a team that's working on an application. You're teaching them uh, – they're VB6 programmers. You're teaching them VB.net. Now – the benefit of teaching them the .NET way is that there's a good chance that a C-sharp programmer looking at the code will not be able to understand very easily if they're using instr, mid, and all this other stuff. But by the same token, is this code going to last you know, the number of years that, it's going to, that that's going to come up and a C-sharp programmer is going to look at that and say, oh, we'll just continue to use this code? Or are they going to rewrite it? I mean, what – you know, should we even be concerned with that? Uh, you know, I mean, these are these are all real questions that uh, that I'm asking myself now. What you're saying is, if a C sharp programmer sees Instar or Ucase, their initial reaction is just to rewrite the code. I I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make it go away. Uh, or or or, the, or just at the very least, they may have a, a more difficult time understanding it because they you know they don't know what that is, or you know they could probably figure it out, but it's just one more obstacle to understanding that they have to get around. And if you're a teacher, I would say, and I, you know, I've taught these courses also, I would say, teach them to do it this way. You know, do you have to slap them on the wrist if they don't? I, well, that's no, what I do. Really I, mean, I mean, in my classes, we do everything the .NET way, but you can see that, you know, the, the, some of the less experienced, I mean, this is, I think, why we're losing these, these VB programmers is that, you know, the, the, the number of things that they have to change that seem kind of silly to them to change at first, and we we know why it's not silly, but you know it seems a little superfluous, I suppose. And, and so you just get all these rules thrown at them, and they're like, "Oh my god!" You know, I'm 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 not in writing VB anymore. You know, this is like a whole new language, and so it just becomes a, the level of complexity just gets gets bigger. I think that's true. On the other hand, I think we all went through that. I certainly remember when I went through that. You know, oh, I'm, sure. I'm guessing you did too. It was. You know, especially, you know, those of us who were consultants or high profile or that people thought we were experts, we went through this crisis because one day we knew everything about VB since we've been writing it for 10 years. Right. And now 
We don't know how to show a message box right. Now we didn't know how to do anything. We didn't know how to load up a list box the right way. But that changed, right. and all of a sudden, I don't know how to do that. Sure. And that was just a learning curve. We just had to gut it through. Yeah. Say, okay, I'm going to learn this. You know, I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out. And and that's it. And right. it's not so, that big a deal. Right. So it begs the question: Why why are why is Microsoft going to the to the extent of you know adding, for example, the default instance to a Windows form, so you can just do me dot show or whatever. Uh, you know, or, or form one dot show, form two dot show, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Why go to that? If the if if what we really have to do is teach people the right way, which is more difficult, then why have these features in the first place? I hate to sound like a marketing guy to give you a marketing guy answer. Yeah, but I think the truth is that's what a lot of people want. That right. Okay. People really do want Visual Basic to be a grown-up language. There are, there are a lot of people who just say it's just too painful for me to learn all this new stuff. You know, again, you, today we're going to have the choice. If you know, if you want to do it the right way, you can do it the right way. But we're right. calling the right way. I don't even want to argue about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, sure. We can do it the .NET way, we'll say. The .NET way. And if you don't, Microsoft is saying, okay, if you don't, then it's hard for you. Well, we're going to let you do it that way. It's an interesting dilemma because at the same time we're telling them, they can do it the old way. We're telling them that uh, the old way is wrong, and and they're s- somehow they're not getting the 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 uh, the value out of VB.net, which uh, you know, and their program's going to run just fine. So so it is an interesting development. And and by the way, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I agree with you. I think that every VB6 programmer who's coming to VB.net should suck it up and learn the .NET way. That's what I think. But by the same token. There's a lot of people out there that Whidbey is addressing, you know, with these lower-level features that, uh, as you say, are going to want to do things their their old way. And I, I don't know, you know. I think you had a key word in there. You said they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get the full value of .NET. And I think that's really the point. In other words, they can build applications right. sort of the old way. And I'm, again, I want to get away from calling it the right and wrong. Let's call it the old way and the .NET way. Right. So they can build the applications. They'll work just fine. But yeah, they're not going to get the full benefit of .NET. Yeah, that's true. But on the other hand, I think you have to walk before you can run. So if yeah. it's easier for them to take baby steps instead of just you know maybe that's into it. a jog, let's say, right. to get up to speed, then I think it's the right thing for Microsoft to support them and let them do that. Yeah, I think it's certainly Microsoft's dilemma. In the end, Microsoft makes money by selling software, and if the customer will buy the software if it gives them that help, then they're going to do that. Right. Uh, but you know, it's funny. I I really get to thinking. You know, Visual Basic is is almost bipolar. It's at the same huh. time this easy, rapid development language that everybody expects and what it's always been, and then they're also expecting enterprise caliber development out of it. Which, of course, we expect from C Sharp. So that's why I said the VB team has a really difficult challenge ahead of them. But they really do. It's it's very unfair. Need to and want to address both of those. Pieces of the VB market, right? Uh, they want to address, make it easier to get into, easier to be productive, and offer all the high-end features, features at the same time. No limitations. Because no VB six programmer wants the stigma of, oh, I'm, you know, doing things the old way. You have to talk to me. You know, you have to talk, speak slower when you talk to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody wants to wear that shirt that says, I'm an idiot, speak slowly, you know, or something <laughs> like that. So so they can't just come out with, you know, they, they have to speak to the VB community as a whole. And and I think that's 
that's the challenge. Don't you think? You know, nobody expects C sharp to be easy. Uh, maybe that's it. Maybe it's an expectation. I don't, yeah, everybody expects I, VB I to be easy. I don't know VB6 programmers expect VBNet to be easy. They certainly don't after, you know, the, the last few years that they've been hearing that it's, uh, you know, more difficult to approach and stuff. But uh, I don't know. Well, that, I think, though, I think the more interesting issues are not the language issues. Yeah. Can I, do I have to use the message dot show, message box dot show sure. or, you know, MSGBOX? I think... The more interesting issues and the more significant issues is making VB.net stand out as a rad language and a rad environment. And whether right. I have to type a few more characters or not, that's not what's going to distinguish it yeah, that, as that's a rad true. environment. And, and somebody in the chat room just made that statement. If VB is still a rad language, then who cares what the code looks like so long as it works as quickly as possible? All right. So I think now that in, in WIDB, now that they've filled in all the language gaps, Anything you could have wanted in the language is pretty much there, certainly with parity with C-sharp. Now I think the focus, and you see a of it part, starting in, in Whidbey, but you, I think you'll see a lot more of it moving further out, Orcus, and again, if, if any listeners haven't been reading the press closely enough, the code name for the version after that is Hawaii. Moving further out, I think that's where you can see the big emphasis now. I think you'll see VB turning into or returning to a language that is the most productive language developing business applications but without any limitations. Hey, you know you just said Hawaii is the next uh, code name after Orcus and and something just occurred to me that are we headed to China here? (laughs) 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 I mean, is that ultimately where we're going to end up? Are we going to circumnavigate the globe here? I guess I right, if you think of the risk board, right, you hit the end the left-hand corner and then you have to come around the other side. <laughs> We're going to wind up in, you know, Phnom Penh somewhere, you know. Anyway. Well, I think it, it, it is an interesting conversation that's going on around here. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I've said this before on .NET Rocks that the whole, the whole VB uh, C-sharp thing is really a culture war it really is a sort of religious thing don't you think yeah because i mean the cross-pollination has become very extreme in other words right you know these shark we do everything vb can do now right right um it's a cultural they, they've got, thing though. They continue, they've got a lot of things like again there, there will be differences in the in the languages there's, there's no question about it but i think there'll be differences in styles and emphases but not limitations i think differences yeah. are okay limitations are bad yeah, that's that's the way I would summarize it. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because people think that you know Microsoft is like this monolithic company that they right. all just you know sit and plan together. And I spent a lot of time explaining to people that's not really the way it is. It's besides you know your normal corporate politics. There's just different groups, and they have their own not much interest in the negative sense, but they have their own audiences. Right. And the C sharp team has their audience with their priorities and what's important to them. And the VB team has their audience and their priorities is what's important to them. And there's a lot of overlap, and, but there's a lot of differences. And I think the difference with VB.net versus VB6 was we're going to have the emphasis in whatever areas, productivity, business applications, that make sense for VB. But if I choose, because I love VB, I choose to build real-time software or almost real-time software, I can do that and VB as well, and I'm not going to run into limitations, but it doesn't have free threading or can't do this or can't do that. Yeah. 
And ultimately, the, the VB team is serving their customer base. That's who they're listening to, and that's the features they're adding. For sure. Again, they, there is discussions between the teams. They, they do get together. They tr- do try to coordinate things, but they still, again, have their own audiences that they need to address their needs. What do you say to those people who uh, can see the value in keeping their VBNet systems the way they are and, you know, the boss is figured out, you know, full of FUD saying, uh, you know, we're going to have to switch to C-sharp because VBNet is, you know, whatever. Um, you, you must come up, uh, come across that a lot where, where, where some guy's got a VB team. They're obviously experienced in VB. You know, they have less experience with the C languages and they want to retrain them in C-sharp for whatever reason. Um, you must come up, come up against that a lot. I just tell them there's no reason for it, and I'm not sure that's the that's the real issue. But we'll come back to that why well, it's not the real issue in a second. If I, when I come up with this, I just try to point out to them the resource. Again, I have I'm a little bit closer to the VB team than they are, yeah. but I if you just watch what's coming out of that team, you see the emphasis and the investment from Microsoft in the VB language, in the right. VB environment, in the VB support system. Yeah, it's huge. So so it's very clear that you know again. You know, we talked about this when we talked about the migration wizard. I guess, you know, if you want to throw a catchphrase out there, you could say, follow the money. See where Microsoft is spending the money. That's where you can see where they're going. And if they're spending a lot of money on VB and supporting VB and enhancing VB and making it easier and more accessible to understand VB, VB is going to be around for a while. Uh, we, we, we knew that. It's going to be around for a while, that's for sure. Yeah, the, uh, it is a really fascinating. So the guys that are working on the VB team are, are not VB programmers. I mean, these guys are serious, serious guys. I mean, J-Rocks is... No, that's a bad thing you just said, Carl, implying that if they were VB programmers, they wouldn't be serious guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bust him on that. You got to him first. <laughs> what I mean is these are... these we'll are that out, right? These are okay. They're not. They're not typical VB application programmers. Okay. Am I? Am I just burying myself here? All right. No, but you make a valid point, which is that Microsoft. They're mostly C programmers. If you're going to write a language, you write it in C plus plus. That's right. I I have to explain that to people all the time because people say, "Well, if VB is just as good and just as important to Microsoft as C sharp, then why is everybody in Microsoft you know writing code in C plus plus and C sharp?" It's because they're building a framework, you know. They're exactly. Yeah. That's why I try to explain. And to they're them. all C and programmers. Sometimes they succeed and they understand it. Sometimes they just don't. The fact is, you mm-hmm. really have to look at the people outside of Microsoft who are using VB.NET successfully, and we've highlighted a number of those projects here on .NET Rocks. I mean, you've got the You've got the Indy 500 stuff that we just recently did. You've got the uh, NASA that we recently talked about. We had some other guys who did things for Macromedia. We had uh, just some just stories from the real world of people of companies that you wouldn't necessarily hear of or know that have successfully used VB.net to to implement their systems and, and everywhere. I mean, you're hearing stories like this everywhere. Uh, I, I see one of one of my jobs as a a, a mouthpiece for vb.net is to uh to show the, the to expose people to these projects you know to say look look at this case study here this this is something that these guys did in such and such time and uh, with this effort and this this many people and and here's the payoff and and the truth is more and more 
applications or pieces of applications within Microsoft, whether for their internal use or as part of products, are being written in .NET and in VB. Yeah. They just don't get perhaps all the as much press as maybe they should be getting, but it's definitely being done. And then, you know, check around some of the blogs, you'll see different various lists of what products have .NET components and what products have VB components. Yeah. So even within Microsoft, they know where it makes sense to use VB. Yep. Well, Jackie, uh, w- there's a question we come down to the end of, towards the end of the show that I ask all my guests or I have been doing recently. Oh, we're getting to the end of the show. I'm, I'm, I'm just warming up now. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even talk about my second love. All right, we will do that. Oh, I guess my third love. My, my first love, my wife, she's been sleeping for hours. <laughs> my second love is VB. Okay, data access. We get to talk about data access? Sure, let's talk about it. Data access is great. Um, this is actually a close connection to VB because you talk about VB being the tool or aiming to be the best, most productive tool for building business applications, database applications. Now, I have to tell you, I have never developed an access application. It was a time in the earlier versions of Visual Studio where I would say I'd never developed an access application, but I used access every day. Because when I was building database applications, we didn't have the tools in Visual Studio to check queries, build tables, look at data. So I you know, opened my MDB with access and write my code in VB. Right? You remember doing that, Carl? Sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. But I've never really built a uh, real access application. And over the last six months to a year, I've been getting a lot of questions from small ISVs and various developers who are developing real systems and access saying, hey, I want to move to .NET. You know, tell me about it. Tell me why I should move to .NET. Yeah. The conversation usually goes very well until we touch on the little subtle point of, well, how long does it take me to build a form? And VB that can display data, update data, and just push it back to the database. Right. And then we sort of have a problem. Because <laughs> um, access is building, really fast. Building at that. bread and butter data input and output, data display, and data input, you know, basic editing forms. Crud. It's hard to build, beat access. Yeah. And I've started using that as a benchmark for what, what am I expecting from VB. And I think the VB team sees that also. And if you, if you look at the improvements in the whole data source concept in Visual Studio now, the kinds of data source and type data sets, the table adapter, and the way you can build not just demo forms, but production quality forms easily within Visual Studio, I think that gap between what you have to do in VB to build that type of form and what you'd have to do in Access to build that type of form has shrunk Tremendously. Mm. I think there may still be a gap there. It may still be easier to do some things in access, but now already the gap is small enough that we can say, okay, maybe a little bit more work in VB, but look at all these other benefits I get. Flexibility, security, whatever you want. I don't have an access. So now it becomes a reasonable conversation to discuss the trade-offs and the pros and cons. Whereas before, if somebody's building an application with just lots and lots of forms and you know, fill in the forms and display the data, it was a kind of a hard sell, in my opinion at least, to, you know, to convince them to go to VB.net instead of doing it in Access. Right. And, and of course, the, the, the biggest benefit of using VB.net now is that in the end, you're not left with an Access application, right? <laughs> you're left with something that can actually scale, uh, which Access cannot do. 
that that becomes the ultimate whammy is uh you know what happens after the initial coding where the app ultimately goes and so i feel, i think the recognition for the fact that now we've built these great languages that we have this great infrastructure in the clr and threading and all this i think the focus is shifting back for vb and for visual studio in general is okay you've got all the power now we want to make it easier and we want to Get back to focusing on database applications because right. you know, I'm a database guy, but I think it's just the reality. There are a lot of developers are developing database applications or at least applications with large database elements to them. Yeah, and so the tools to do that need to be in place. And they're they're actually doing some very interesting things in that direction in Microsoft. I'm actually part of a group called the VS Data Orcus Data Review Group. Very long name. <laughs> but if you break it down. It's basically a group of outsiders, not, that means not Microsoft employees, who are going to help review them and help them plan the next version. Orcus is the next version of Visual Studio. And there are groups in Microsoft who are working more or lesser degrees on planning for Orcus. And one of the areas of, that they're trying to emphasize a lot is the area of data and data tools. And we actually just had a design review where they started discussing at a very high preliminary level of what some of their ideas and plans are. But the idea is, the goal is, for the Visual Studio developer to have all his database needs met within Visual Studio, that I have all the tools and everything I need to do within Visual Studio, right? Because when we grew up from MDBs and Access, what did we all do? We had Visual Studio open, we wrote VB code, and we had Enterprise Manager open so we could look at the data and run queries and write stored procedures. Right. Yeah. Or Access right. open, one or the other. Right. So instead of bouncing back and forth, the idea, what this group is, and this is a, an interdisciplinary group. It's a group that goes, that bridges the, they sit in the same organization as the VB team, but they get, you know, they're sort of independent, but they're sort of a bridge group as well. So they'll deal with the different languages and the Visual Studio and the database teams. And they're saying, we want to have the experience so that I have everything I need for data design, checking out basic queries. But we have a query designer in Visual Studio today, yeah. right? Uh, most people probably don't use it. If they do, they're using it only for select queries. Yeah, that's that's been my experience, and that's my my experience. What I see from other people, so there may be some room for improvement in querying over there. Um, another interesting thing that they're playing with, and again, it's very preliminary, and maybe we'll hear more about it. I think at the PDC, perhaps, is this concept of data and language integration. I think Richard, I think you may have mentioned that phrase a couple minutes ago data and language integration, but they, they really are coming together, again, at least for a certain class of yeah, applications. Right. Which pretty much makes up the majority of corporate apps. I mean, CRUD in applications... The end, that's what business apps want. CRUD applications are the, are the money makers of, uh, of the business, business world. Right. So you, you, I think this, uh, Microsoft is, you know, is on track and they recognize those needs and they're moving in that direction. So... Clearly, I would expect the VB language to be on the forefront of adopting those things. If they're, they may be adopted across all languages, but certainly getting input from the VB team, and that's certainly, I think, where you can see VB going as well. Just make it easier to build those type of apps, especially right. business apps. You know, we want to get back to where we were in VB6, where there's no question if that's the type of app you're building, if you're somebody who values your time, or if you're an employer who values your money, you're going to be developing that in VB. 
You know, it's funny. Visual Basic did not start out as the definitive database app development product. You know, the early versions of VB, that's not what it had in it at all. VB3 added it because yes. that's what people were doing with it. Right. Somebody just asked me today, coincidentally, you know, when did VB first get data binding? And I said, I think, I think it was VB3. I think VB1, VB2 didn't have data binding. It was VB3. Yep. It was bad, but it was VB3. Yep. I used VB2 and, and SQL Sombrero. Again, uh, SQL Server. Wow, wow, uh, wow. 4.2. Yeah, VBXs. It was, a, it, was a, it was a tough time. But, you know, that was really leading-edge stuff back then. Yeah. Yeah, well, the time's changing, the tools changing, things get incorporated into the more basic infrastructure, the more basic tools. We're still in the end doing the same thing. We've got to be able to put data in, take data out, and try and make some sense of it. Now, that hasn't changed. Well, and also, you, as you touched on, Richard, um, Visual Basic is useful for just about everything else, too. Um, you know, the, the, the language is great at rapid application development, even if it's not a database application. In fact... Uh, you know, that's where the roots of BASIC are in, are, are making uh, making tasks easy, you know. Yeah, that uh, was the goal. That was the goal, and it still is the, the biggest uh, value of VB. I, I, I want to take this opportunity to bring up a website for people because I think the kind of people who, would be, have, who are still listening to the show, if, they've been, <laughs> if they have been listening for an hour and, and are still into this, are people who are, are – you know, uh, I, I hear this all the time. You know, my uh, I want to move to .NET. I want to use VB.NET. I want to get some training, but you know, my my boss doesn't get it. And how do I convince my boss to go to .NET? And so, what we did at Franklin's Net a long t not a long time ago, but last year, a couple years ago, is we put together this document uh, at shrinkster.com slash five i y. Uh, called Getting Ahead in Your Career or How to Sell Your Boss on .NET Training or Most Anything. And um, this is just a web page, but the real thing is a link to a PDF file that describes this method. And Todd Follinsby put this together. By the way, Todd Follinsby is now working uh, for Ineta, and uh, he's going to be doing a birds of a feather session on, on web marketing, uh, on marketing your, your software uh, with the web. Uh, at TechEd, so I, met, I, I encourage you to check that out. But but this is a great PDF that he put together with his guys when he worked here at Franklin's.net, and it's great. It, it gives it gives the the programmer who who feels powerless to you know you're beating the drum and nobody's listening, and you know they got you know Java this or whatever on their mind, and uh, you know and and the timing is critical. Read this document, and uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it. I just thought I'd bring it up because it, it's within the context of what we're talking about, I think. Well, Jackie, um, let me ask you this question, and, and we gotta get we got to wrap it up here. So I want to ask you, uh, what's the coolest thing that you've downloaded lately? I, I hate to come off too geeky and too, too much of a VB guy, but I'd have to say the refractoring tool for VB. Yeah, cool. Totally excellent. It, awesome. And I say it's cool for two different reasons, really. One is... I think refactoring is important. I think as developers who are developing systems that we expect to live for a long time, and we want to develop them quickly but have them live on, refactoring is an important tool in our toolbox. I think it's cool because 
that was not in Microsoft's original plan, or wasn't in their most recent plan, basically because of scheduling, they got a lot of flack from the VB community saying, hey, you know, the C-sharp guys are making fun of us because we're not a real language because we don't have refactoring, which is important. And they said, you know, you're right, and we still don't have the time to do it, but we're going to make sure it's in the box, or almost in the box. We're going to make sure it's part of the package, I guess would be more accurate. And they went out and got this, this great tool, which is pretty much the leading tool for refactoring for VB from a third party. Now, right. the other thing that I thought was pretty cool, besides the fact that it's there, it works, and does what I need, it has some very interesting approaches to UI design. Yes. I, you know, I, I, a while ago, I checked out your videos, Carl. And by the way, those, um, those videos you're talking about are uh, some Camtasia videos that Mark Miller, who is the author of Refactoring in VB here for DevExpress, he, uh, he and I did these videos showing off the refactoring support, and they're at shrinkster.com slash 5iz. And, and this is my blog post where I, where I you know, provided a link to these, these videos. So go ahead. So I recommend those videos for somebody who just wants to get a quick overview of what the tool is. And refactoring is refactoring. That's not the really interesting part. It's an important part, but not the exciting part, the interesting part. The interesting part is some of their UI ideas, the fact that they avoid, like, the plague displaying modal message boxes, right. modal oh, yeah. dialogues of any kind, or that they have these cool, I don't know what to call them, backgrounds and graphics, indications of what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like playing a video game. Little little blips and tokens that really give you a sense of what's going on. These guys are UI geniuses. Yeah, I yeah. Really... Mark Miller is a genius. He's absolutely amazing. And funny, too, as a matter of and fact. And darn funny. Yeah. So it takes a little bit of getting used to but it's very different... What we're used to seeing in an IDE, we're used to seeing pretty much text and highlighted text and colored text. And here we have graphics inside of our code. It's like playing a video so, game, man. <laughs> refactoring video game. It is. So you could love it, you could hate it, but it's definitely food for thought. You know, and maybe that's the future. Maybe we need to, you know, to get to the next level of productivity. We need to stop thinking about codes, you know, code and characters and start thinking about other ways of writing code or analyzing code or manipulating code. Yeah. So I thought it was very interesting from a design perspective, if not from an implementation functional perspective. Yeah. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of the show. Jackie, is there any last-minute words of wisdom that you want to impart on the, on the audience? Any, any announcements or uh, resources that you want to point people to or anything else? Well, I don't know what words of wisdom. I don't know if I had words of wisdom until now, so never mind last words of wisdom. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to pass on a shared message to you that I promised I would pass on, Carl. Okay. And it applies to Carl and to Richard. This is a message that I share in, but it's triggered by my local Microsoft DE, developer evangelist, Yossi Taguri. Okay. And you ask, you know, we saw talking about previously about the developer community in Israel and the great developers we have here. We want you to come to Israel, Carl. <laughs> okay. We want you guys to come over. Carl, Richard, come over. We'll have a special RD summit just for you guys. And we want some great conferences, some great speaking engagements for you. Uh, if you talk to some of the other people who have come over for conferences, I think you'll be impressed by how much they were impressed. Don Box, Clement Vasters, Dino Esposito, they've been here for various one-day conferences, week-long conferences. Hmm. And I think they've been pretty much blown away. But you think you're going to this far-off country that's a little small country, and you're expecting to walk into a room with maybe 50 developers who you know, develop in VB4, and all of a sudden, you're in front of hundreds, if not thousands, of people who are asking you really hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of fun to do a .NET Rocks episode uh, on site in Israel. It would be great. 
So, you know, just, just arrange the budget, and we'll do the logistics for you. That sounds fun, man. Awesome. Well, Carl, Richard, I've had a great time. We've had a fantastic time, Jackie. It was great uh, reminiscing a little bit about the old times, but but this is about the future, and and uh, I'm I'm very optimistic about the future and about Visual Basic. And man, thank you for uh, for spending this time with us. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, you have a good afternoon, and I'll uh, we'll see if my poker game is still on. All right. <laughs> well, listen, from everybody who's involved in .NET Rocks, myself, Jeff Maciolik in the sound room, Richard Campbell out there in Vancouver, British Columbia, and our guest, Jackie Goldstein from Israel, this is Carl Franklin saying have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Die, boy, life is hard. Pay my taxes.